Good morning. The scripture reading for today's sermon comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted it to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is the word of the Lord. Well, some of you are no doubt familiar um, with the name Augustine of Hippo. Augustine was a Christian theologian, teacher, bishop of the church in North Africa in the 4th and 5th centuries. He's known throughout history as one of the great doctors of the church. He is widely believed to be the most influential uh, theologian and Christian thinker since the apostles themselves. He's widely respected, widely respected and held in high esteem by both Catholics and Protestants. And, and beloved, that is not easy to do. I mean, that's a short list of people who are held in high esteem by both Protestants and Catholics. And Augustine would be at the top of that list. His most famous works, and there were many, but his most famous work is titled Confessions. Confessions, and no doubt um, some of you have had the opportunity to read it. Some of um, church history's most memorable and recognizable quotes indeed come to us from the pen of Augustine. Or as R.C. Sproul says, Augustine. But nobody lives in St. Augustine. It is St. Augustine, Florida, right? It's Augustine. Amen. <laughs> Just as a side note, with all due respect to the late Dr. Sproul. Did you catch that, Phil? I thought I might want to clarify, to clarify that, right? But some of history's most remarkable and indeed memorable quotes come to us from the pen of St. Augustine. For example, perhaps you've heard it said that thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, but our hearts is restless, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. That's Augustine. Like the Apostle Paul, when Augustine was converted, it was a dramatic event, beloved. And following his conversion, Augustine understood immediately that he was different. And understanding that he was different, he understood there that he had to think differently. He understood that he had to live differently. Now, for many of us, our conversion is not as dramatic. It was not as dramatic as, say, the Apostle Paul or St. Augustine. 
fact, for, for most of us, there I say, there was nothing mystical or, or magical. There were no voices from heaven. There were no angels singing. There was just the flowering of the understanding and the enlightening of our minds to see that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Comes to us and we realize that Jesus is the sufficiency as a Savior that we need. For some of us, it was just as simple as the blind man said in John chapter 9, verse 25. Once I was blind, but now I see. But it's important for all of us, no matter whether where you are on the spectrum of drama concerning your conversion, it's important for all of us to understand that, that getting saved, beloved, getting saved is the most significant turning point in your life, however dramatic or undramatic it was. And yet, beloved, also realize that there is more to being saved than getting saved. There is more to the Christian life than just getting saved. Getting saved is the first step. And after getting saved, then what you and I have to do is begin to learn how to live saved. After getting saved, you have to learn to live being saved, right? In other words, Christians have to learn what it means in this world living while saved. Living while saved. That is a thing. Okay, I, you, perhaps you have never thought about it before, but you will think about it from now on, hopefully, that there is a thing that is called living while saved. Just like there's a thing, I saw it this week, uh, and there's actually a thing called driving while black. There's actually a thing called driving while black. But I know there's a thing called shopping while black. Because I've been there. I've walked in stores and had people follow me around and wondering why they follow me. But beloved, more significant than driving while black or shopping while black is living while saved. There is a, there is a thing called living while saved. When Jesus Christ saves you, you begin to learn what it means to live saved. What it means to go to school while saved. What it means to work at Delta while saved. What it means to be a teacher while saved. What it means to be single in this world while saved. What it means to be raising children while saved. Every aspect in our life should be governed 
by the fact that now you are saved. I was in a hurry to get somewhere, and I went down the street, was getting on the highway. As soon as I got on the highway 285, it stopped. And I realized there's a thing called driving 285 while saved. Driving 285 while saved. That is a thing. Then I realized, beloved, that living saved is not easy. In fact, apart, apart from God's resources and God's direction, it's impossible. It is impossible. And that is what Augustine understood. And this is what all of us have to understand as well. When Augustine prayed, Lord, grant what you command and command what you will. In other words, Lord, command me to live saved and grant to me all that is necessary and needful so I can obey your command. The Lord who saves us also commands us now to live saved. But if we're going to do this, we're going to need not only God's command, but we're going to need God to grant us that which he commands us to do. And this is what Peter reminds us this morning. This is what our text says this morning, that God has done just that, beloved. He has not only saved us, but has commanded us to live while saved. And then, listen, he has granted to us all things necessary to do just that. To live saved. You and I are going to need two indispensable resources that our text says has been given to you. They have been granted to you. And that is God's power and God's promises. God's power and God's promises. If you and I are going to live while saved, we are going to need the power of God. We are going to need the promises of God. And notice that the Apostle Peter tells us that he has granted unto us the power and the promises so that we can live while saved. Verse 3, God's power. His divine power 
has given us everything we need. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Whatever, beloved, is necessary to live while saved, to live the godly life, you and I have it through the divine power, the power of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, the Lord never asked of us but what he has supplied to us by his power and given us the spiritual strength to do. You understand that? God never asked anything of you but what he has supplied you the spiritual strength to do. Namely, live the godly life. To live the godly life. God calls us to godliness. Or a godly life. In fact, as you will see, you go back in 1 Peter and you read 2 Peter, this is a major theme in the Apostle Peter's teaching. The godly life. The godly life is the devoted life. It is the life devoted to honoring God. It is a life devoted to worship and the glory of God. It is the life that takes serious what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, right? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. The godly life. The godly life, beloved, is not just a momentary activity. Okay, it, it, the godly life is not just going to church. The godly life is not just praying. The godly life is not just singing a hymn when you, when the spirit, when you feel the Spirit's leading. The godly life is not a momentary activity. The godly life is an attitude. It is the disposition of a heart where God's will is always considered. Always seeking to know what is the will of the Lord here. And the goal of the godly life is pleasing God. Pleasing God. And we know what pleases God. The Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God, meaning that faith pleases God. And so the godly life is the life of faith. The godly life is the life of trust. The godly life is the life of believing, trusting, resting in Christ. In fact, beloved, as we have said before, and we will continue to say, this is really all that God ever asked of his people. Trust me. Trust me. 
That is the key to the godly life. In fact, Jesus says, right, in, in Mark chapter 5 and verse 36, only believe. Do not fear, just, just believe. Faith pleases God. The godly life is just the life that is faithfully depending upon Christ Jesus. That's it, beloved. At every moment, in every circumstance, trusting in Christ. And not only has God commanded us to this godliness, he has given us the power to do so. The power to trust and have faith in Jesus. To keep believing in Jesus. The power of God, the Bible says here, is in and through Jesus Christ. You know, one, one of the most definitive attributes of God is his power. When you think of God and the idea of God, one of the first things that comes to mind is the idea that God is what? All-powerful. That is one of those defining attributes, characteristics that come to mind quickly when we think about God, the power of God. And the power of God is the ability of God to will and to do his good pleasure. Always know how much power the pastor has, Bob, when the pastor looks around and things are going contrary to his will. And that's just, you know, that the pastor don't have all power, no matter what you may think. Because I dislike that as much as you do. But I don't have the power to will and to do all of my good pleasure at the church nor at home. But God does. He has the ability to will and to do his good pleasure. He has the ability and authority to bring about whatever he desires. God is strong. That's what the Bible says, right? Job chapter 9, verse 19. If it is a question of strength, God is the strong one. If there's ever a contest of strength, God is the strong one, beloved. And you see this. You see this in his power to create, that only God has the power to create. As Romans chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us that he calls forth those things that be not as though they were. That's the old King James way of saying it. That's the way I learned it. He calls forth those things that be not as though they were. Only God does that. Only God speaks things into existence contrary to what you might hear on popular religious television. Only God calls forth those things, beloved, because only God has the power to create. But God doesn't just have the power to create. God has the power to sustain what he has created. Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 3, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ indeed upholds the universe by the power of his word. 
And not only has the world been created by the word of God, but the worlds are held together and sustained by that same very power. God has the power to create. God has the power to sustain. And God has the power to command. Psalm 33, verse 8. Verse 9, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He has the power to create, the power to sustain. He has the power to command. He alone has the power to save. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For the gospel is what? The power of God unto salvation. This is the power of God, the creating power, the sustaining power, the commanding power, the saving power. This is the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. This is the resurrection power of God, whereby death was defeated, whereby the grave was overcome, whereby Christ was raised again to life, this is the resurrection power of God, and this is the power that Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 that he wants to know because this is the power that we have received graciously been given to you and me whereby now we live the godly life. That power that creates, that power that sustains, that power that commands, that power that saves, that resurrection power is that power that now resides in us whereby now we can live the godly life. That's what it says. It's the power of the gospel. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, beloved you have the power. You have the power to live upright and godly in this present age. You have the power to live in humility. You have the power to walk in love. You have the power to turn the other cheek. You have the power to forgive offenses. You have the power to give sacrificially. You have the power to serve without thanks. You have that power. It's been given to us. The power to overcome sin and resist temptation. You have that power. You and I, we have that power. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man, but God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Why? Because you have the power. And is that power enough? Is the power of Jesus Christ and the strength of Christ in you, satisfying you, is it enough? Peter says, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And therefore, beloved, if you are not living and or pursuing this godly life, you can't blame God. In fact, you can't blame anybody else either. All the parts are there. Now, I'm not going to call anybody out. Because I've been there myself. Get a big contraption like a, like a grill you got to put together. And you open the box. And the first thing you do is you discard the directions. <laughs> because you're smart enough, you're clever enough, you've done this before, to put it together yourself without any help or following the directions. And as you begin to put it together, suddenly you realize something is missing, something is not right. And the first thing you do is say, oh, they forgot to put the parts in the box. No, beloved, all the parts are there. You just failed to read the instructions. All the parts for living the godly life have been given to you. Take the time to read the instructions so you can assemble it rightly. Don't say you don't have the parts. They're there. All things necessary. God has granted to you. Yes, 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 yes. There is some assembly required. Yes. And that's why we come here, beloved. That's why we're in Bible study. So that we can learn how to assemble a life together. And it resembles something that the Lord intends for it to be. But all the parts are there, beloved. All the parts are there. If you know Christ, if you know Christ this morning, or better yet, as Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9 says, if you are known by Christ. How about that? If you are known by Christ this morning, it is because God has graciously called you, and he has revealed Christ to you. But in calling you and revealing himself to you, 
he has also blessed you with all things necessary to keep believing in him. He has given you all the parts so that you would know how to live while saved. How to live while saved. And just as Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 tells us that the world is without excuse for not believing in God, there is no excuse for not seeking to live the godly life. None, none. You have the power to do so. All the parts are there. Have all the power necessary. And that power is rooted in the precious, the precious and exceedingly great promises that you and I have received in Jesus. The power and the promises. See in verse 4. He has granted to us. So the word again. He has, he has given to us. He has graciously given to us. He has granted to us his precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Through, through the honor and through the excellence, okay, the excellency of Jesus, because Jesus is excellent. And it's through his excellency, through his perfections, let's put it that way, through the perfections of Jesus, because Jesus, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 and verse 14 that he was a perfect sacrifice, right? That Jesus is perfect. But not only was he a perfect sacrifice, but he was also, he is also the perfecter of our faith in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And it's through his perfections, the perfections of Jesus, perfect sacrifice, the perfecter of our faith, that we have now obtained, again, there's that word, granted, it's been granted to us, the precious and exceedingly great promises. And these promises are the reason why, in the power of God, you and I can live a godly life, a life of faith a life of trusting, a life of believing in Jesus. For the promises are based upon a person. And the reason, I, you, and the reason you and I are saved, beloved, is because God made promises. That's why you're saved this morning, because God made promises. And he made those promises, and he has kept Every promise that he has made. And that's why you say, this is the theme. This is the theme that is repeated all throughout the scriptures from, from, from Genesis to Revelation. The idea is of God making promises and God keeping promises. From Eve to Noah to Abraham to Mary and Joseph, salvation is always based upon this. God's promises made and God's promises kept. He made a promise to Eve, he kept that promise in Jesus. He made promises to Noah, he kept those promises in Jesus. He made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he kept those promises 
in Jesus. He made promises to David. He has kept those promises in Jesus. He made promises to Mary and Joseph. He kept those promises to, in Jesus. He has made great and exceedingly promises to you and I. And guess what, beloved? He is keeping them in Jesus. He's never, never, not one failed to keep the promises that he has made. And this is why they are called great and precious. They are great and precious not because he made them to us. They are great and precious because they are kept in the precious one, Jesus Christ himself. God keeps all of his promises in Jesus. This is why it's so important. This is why it's so important that if you're going to know God, you must know Jesus. If you are going to be the recipients and live upon the promises of God and receive the promises of God, you must receive Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the right, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus has made him known. Jesus has revealed the Father. If you would know God, you must know Jesus. If you are to receive the promises, the great and precious promises of God, you must know the great and precious Son of God. To receive the true, eternal, precious promises of God, you have to receive Jesus. Listen, listen, beloved. You can go out in this world and live without Jesus, but you will not live eternally without Jesus. The Lord may be pleased to heal your body and you not be saved, but you will not get your soul healed. It's important to understand, beloved, you can know some things about God apart from Jesus, but you cannot know God. Without Jesus. God has made great and precious promises. And he has made them all in Christ Jesus. And the reason why they're great and the reason why they're precious is because his promises are made based upon what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 19, the precious blood of Jesus. Precious, precious blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood to save us. But his blood also secures the promises so that we can live saved every day. Every day, every day. There is not only power in the blood, but there are also promises in the blood. That's what we ought to be seeing. Not just singing power in the blood. We ought to be seeing promises in the blood. 
The promise of forgiveness, the promise of deliverance, the promise of protection from the enemy, the promise of, uh, of redemption, the promise of the abundant life, the promise of the godly life. You know, Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 tells us, it tells us that life is in the blood, right? But how is that life when the blood is Jesus? Then it's not just life, beloved. But as John chapter 10 and verse 10 tells us, it is the abundant life. It is the godly life. There is life in the blood. And that life is the godly, abundant life in Christ Jesus. There are pro there are, there's power and there are promises in the blood. And all those, and all those who have received these, this power, and all those who have received these promises and are seeking to live the godly life in light of them, they demonstrate two things. Two things that our text says, chapter 1, verse 4, 2 Peter 1 and 4, two things. The godly life demonstrates two things. One, that we belong to God. That's what the godly life says. That we belong to God. Notice what it says right there, partakers of the divine nature. We belong to him. Participants in the divine nature. We belong to him. We, we do not become a God, no, but the power and promises of God. The Spirit of God, that is Holy Spirit, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of promise, is now, has now taken up residence in those who are in Christ. But the Holy Spirit is both the power to live for Jesus today and the promise that one day you will be like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It is the power to live today for Jesus, and, it is the, and he is the deposit, the promise that one day you will be like Jesus. And when you got that, Holy Spirit power and Holy Spirit promise, then that's how you live the godly life. I got his power, and I can live like him today. I got the promise that one day I will be like him. And so we live, Pastor Phil, with the already and the not yet. Already empowered, looking forward to be like him. That's what the godly life is. It says we belong to God, partakers of the divine nature, so that one day we will be like Christ when he appears, we shall be like him, without spot or blemish. But until then, in the power of Holy Spirit, we seek to live like those who are on their way, indeed, are already there. Already there. We belong to God. 
partakers of the divine nature. Next thing. Not only does it say we belong to God, but it also says that we no longer belong to the world. No longer belong to the world. Notice what it says there in verse 4 again. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Having escaped the corruption. You know, when we sing and when we say, this world is not my home. Beloved, we don't mean this physical world. That's not ultimately what we're saying. When we say this world is not our home, what we mean is that the sinful corruption that is manifested and ruling in this world is not my portion. I have been redeemed. We have escaped. We are partakers of the divine nature. Whereby now we have escaped. We have been rescued, brought out from the corrupting powers of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but where does it come from? From the world. But that world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of the Father God lives forever. That world, that world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, and the pride of life, that world, that world with all of its corrupting influences and desires, that world you and I have been brought out of. We have escaped by the power and the promises of God. Whereby now, beloved, we understand that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. When we say this world is not my home, we don't want people to think that we're schizophrenic. I live here. This is my home. But when we say this world is not my home, we mean that corrupting, wicked, rotten influence that is in the world. We have been brought out of that. Listen, listen, beloved. 2950 Sylvan Road is the home of East Point Church. That's where we worship. But not in all the corruption that is it. So that means that we, this is our home, and, and, and all of the corruption is in it. All these bad microphones that be popping off every now and then. All the debating and argument that goes back and forth from the stage to the sound room. That is not our worship. Our worship, beloved is the sweet, sweet sound that is ringing in the heavens even this morning despite all the imperfections of this place. And one day, one day, we'll be, soon we'll be done with the troubles of keyboards. Soon we'll be done with the trouble of microphones. 
soon we'll be done with the trouble of projectors. And there will be nothing but the sweet, uninterrupted, undisturbed worship of the saints, even those at 2950 Sylvan Road. You do understand that this is my body. This is my body. But this ultimately, ultimately is not my home. There is coming a day, beloved, that despite all of his frailties, despite all of his faults, that the Lord Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with a shout and all of the imperfections that I am limited with now would be done away, would disappear in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And that is the promise. And with that promise, then I can live in this body above the corruption of the world. Beloved, we seek to live now like we will when he returns. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's why, that's why every week we get together and we meet and we try to perfect the worship. We don't give up. We try to fix the microphones. We try to fix the sound. Why? Because we have a promise and we're living for the promise that one day all of it will be perfect. But until then, until then, until then, we're living in the hope and so you live your life, beloved. I don't care how many failures you have, you don't give up. You don't stop believing. You don't stop trusting. You don't stop seeking the godly life. But we don't claim to be perfect. For if we were perfect, we wouldn't need the promises. The reason you have the promises is because you're not perfect. And there's still always something that you're longing for. There's always more. There's always more. There is a longing and an urging that is bound up in the heart of every believer by the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises that have been granted unto you. And you're longing, longing, longing for that day when that faith will be made sight. When all things will be made plain and perfect for you. Don't let your imperfections keep you from pursuing Christ and trusting in all his promises. Beloved, you have it. Everything, everything necessary for life and godliness. Life and a godly life now. Yes, 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 yes. There is some assembly required. And that's why we are here today to help each other put the parts together rightly.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray.